Linda McHenry, host of the Writer's Voice podcast. And my guest today is Sarah Lynn Brooke. How are you, Sarah Lynn? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Linda. Oh, sure. Love to have you. Now, you have a book that was released in March, right? Yes. Daytime drama. Daytime drama. Is that drama. what we see there? And right, yes, <laughs> right there. Yes. Okay, tell us just a little bit about that before we go on and talk about being bicoastal and working two occupations and being a mother and a writer. <laughs> sure. Uh, Daytime Drama is about a soap opera actress named uh, Callie Hart, who has been on the same soap opera her whole life, basically, since she was a teenager. She is now in her early 40s, and she has just found out that her soap opera has been canceled, as so many soap operas have been these days. And to make things more complicated, she's being blackmailed by her ex. Her current boyfriend really wants to ramp up their relationship. She's living with her mother and her queen son. So life is becoming pretty complicated for her and mirroring in a lot of ways the soap opera that she just got fired from. Uh huh. So that's interesting. And a lot of what you want to talk about today is the mirroring, because I call you bicoastal. You say you're not really bicoastal, but I think in some ways you probably are. So why don't you talk about your version of being bicoastal? Yes, I grew up in California and we are so California that my parents were born and raised in California. So they grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Northern California. So we were very much a California family. And uh, when I was in my 20s, I moved to Chicago and then um, moved back to California. And then in 07, my husband and I moved to Philadelphia and we love it here. We just love it. But I have noticed that there are lots of different aspects of living on the East Coast versus the West Coast that I really appreciate. We talked a little bit about how, you know, life uh, or, or the way people talk on the East Coast is faster. And, uh, and I definitely feel, you know, as a writer, it's not a bad feeling to be a bit of an outsider, to be able to observe life um, in a different way than someone who maybe grew up here. So I really enjoyed, you know, our time here in Philadelphia, but I still feel a little bit like, you know, I don't quite, quite belong. Yeah, there's, there's a difference there. So how do you think you are as a writer, you think you're better equipped maybe to characterize or maybe to be observant with your characters because you have the two different takes, you know, the West Coast, you know, having grown up there and then the observations that you have from being on the East Coast. Do you think that makes you a better writer when it comes to characterizing or observing? That's a really good question. I, I think it's helped in a lot of ways, like I said, as an observer, um, but also my husband is from the New York, New Jersey area. And he would talk about when we lived in California and we lived in California for eight years and we met in Chicago. So he definitely felt a bit like a fish out of water there too. And he would always talk about the differences he felt as an East Coast person on the West Coast in the mid Midwest and the West Coast. And so it was fun when, when we relocated to Philadelphia, knowing the way that he felt as an East Coaster on the West Coast I felt the same, you know, I felt some similar, you know, a connection there. And so I sort of knew going in actually that this might be something I could use in my writing and to remember that feeling of, of feeling like a bit of an outsider. I lived in Montana for eight years and I was born in New York City, but lived almost all my life in New England in Massachusetts. And I remember when I lived there, yeah, sometimes you feel like you're in the dark. You know, people get stuff and you don't know. It's like there's a, a private joke going on. 
you know, the terminology that's used. And I think that's important. Now you probably, I'm, I'm going to guess that you can make the same corollary with occupations because you and I both have been conducting two occupations at the same time. You're a writer, plus you do something else. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk about that? Because I'm sure that plays a role in what you do as a writer. Yes, in a few ways, for sure. I teach writing. I teach college writing full-time at a local community college. And I think that it's helped my own writing by being able to help others with their writing, just because I'm constantly looking at it from, you know, a teacher's aspect, but also as a reader, you know, I'm looking to see what works, what doesn't work and why. And then I have to be able to articulate that really clearly to my students and help them work through their own knots in their writing. And those lessons, there's so many different lessons. There are an infinite number of lessons I can learn from my students um, that I can take to heart with my own writing. I feel really lucky that I also happen to be in an occupation where it's still in the same realm. So it's not like I'm going and selling insurance or something, and then I have to come back and reprogram my brain a little bit and, and be able to start my own writing. So in a lot of ways, you know, it's compatible because still in the same realm, but I'm also not spending nine hours a day typing away at my own writing. I'm spending four hours a day on my own writing and I'm spending, you know, five or more hours a day on grading papers and helping students and and all that good stuff. It's funny that you mentioned your other job isn't selling insurance because my other job is in the insurance industry for the past, (laughs) for the past dozen years. I've been writing insurance continuing education courses and teaching continuing education. And before that, I was an insurance agent and owned insurance agencies. So you're right. Okay. There is a challenge when you go from something completely different to writing. And then, like I said, when I segued into being the course developer and the writer of insurance, yeah, I'm still writing. So I can sit at my desk and I can work on a course about insurance fraud or about homeowners insurance or about anti-money laundering. And then I can go right into a fiction novel. Right. Do you find that that switch for you is that that's a tough switch or do you find because it's both writing, it's the easy switch? Well, I think for me, I'm one of those people where I am primarily right brain so that that creative thing but I can also go back and forth so I can go back and forth pretty easily between the creative part and that linear sequential analytic thing so for me it's pretty easy to go back but for it also keeps me from being bored it also keeps me from getting stuck so if I'm in one thing and it's not working I put it aside and go to something else and my whole life I've always like to work on two projects at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where I am in the process because I can shut my mind off of one and then my unconscious works probably better than my conscious <laughs> to fix yeah. whatever is going on or to plan what has to come next. That makes so much sense. And I think also for me, I need that balance. I, I think I'm sort of equally left and right brained in a lot of ways. And so having that balance for me to be able to you know, use, you know, use my energy to problem solve. It's a lot of problem solving when you're teaching Mm -hmm. um, to be able to do that. And I really like catching that. It's something that I I enjoy. I also don't want to do that a hundred percent of the time. And, and also, and I love writing too. And writing is a different sort of problem solving and I really, really enjoy it. But I also, I, I don't want to be doing that a hundred percent of the time. So I really like being able to balance both of those occupations but I do feel lucky that I'm not doing something completely different for one. It's just different enough, you know? 
Well, and that's where I am now. And one of the things that I found is with, with the insurance writing, my skills at outlining became much better. Mm, that's great. And the thing is, what I can do now is like, I'll take a course and I'll know what my client wants me to do, what the direction is. I have them give me a list of the things they want me to, to handle. And then the creative part of my brain looks at the big picture and I mean, I can now write to word count and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I can do the translation of how many words I need for an hour of credit, you know, and all that. But the, the creative part can take all of those things and then translate it into an outline. Mm-hmm. And what I've also been able to do is because I have to outline and be so strict with that, I can now bring that into the fiction writing. Mm-hmm. And I think that for those of us who write and do something else, there's a lot of added benefit to that because again, it gives us a new perspective. We actively work at it. I think it gives us insights. You know, then again, I've never been just someone who just wrote. So what can I tell you? Uh But I also think too, having different relationships and being in different relationships has a lot to do with that. And you and I've talked in the past about how being a mother affects your writing. Why don't you share some of your insights about that? That uh, I think- Specifically, it's, it comes down to time management. You know, we talk a lot about multitasking and I don't know if I necessarily believe in multitasking, but I do believe in compartmentalizing. And so I can, um, you know, I can devote a certain amount of time per day to writing, to uh, work, work, to um, hanging out with my family, to going to soccer games, to doing family hikes on the weekend. So being able to compartmentalize and make sure that that I have time for everything that I really want to do, even though there's not going to be a ton of overlap. So if I'm writing, I would rather not have to, you know, help my kid with their homework. But sometimes I have to do that. And that means I have to shift things around. Or if I don't get my writing done in the morning, like I would like to, it means that I'll just do it when I take her to soccer practice and I'll write in the car in the parking lot. Um, I just did that actually last Thursday. And it's fine. You know, it's fine. It's not what I would rather be doing, but it's fine. And so I find that being able to compartmentalize, being flexible, those are things that, you know, that you learn as a parent that translate well into trying to get projects done. I also think too, the way you manage your relationships, and it sounds horrible when you say, oh, manage a relationship, but you kind of have to, because I remember when I had three kids in three years and when they were little, I would get up at five in the morning to write before they got up because when they're real little, you can't manage them. Right. But I would teach them, you know, and as they got older, if I was writing and they needed me, they'd come stand right next to me. And they, they knew that when I'd finished my sentence or my paragraph, I'd talk to them. And I think some people, you know, sometimes you can't compartmentalize. There are certain relationships that you can't or certain people who don't cooperate with you. Hmm. And I think that for some people, and I know for me at different parts of my life, I wasn't able to compartmentalize and I can be flexible, but I really like sitting in my writing place and having all my stuff available because then I don't have to worry about anything else. And I don't like to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. Can I write with distractions and all that? Yeah, but I'd rather not. I'm much better, just like I'm much better at certain times of the day. So I think that when you are a parent and not just a mother, but a parent, or even if you're not a parent, but you have little kids who are around all the time, they teach you either how to do things simultaneously or the fact that you have to compartmentalize. And even if it's 10 minutes at a time for yeah. these 10 minutes, I'm going to shut everything else out. Like while I'm sitting in the car and she's playing soccer 
-hmm. And you can do that. And like I said, that's not my choice. Some people prefer that. Some people can't do it. I think overall men probably have an easier time doing that than women do when it comes to relationships, Mm -hmm. because I think they have to in, in a lot of ways, or they're, it's, it's, they're not expected like women to just drop everything when a person says, Hey, I need your time and attention. (laughs) But don't you think too, as a mother, and I can only say that as a mother, because I'm not a father, but as a mother, don't you think you have insights into people differently because of that mother-child relationship? We have just one kid. So we have a single kid and the three of us are very, very close. We do basically, we've always done everything together. So I can see why having three kids is is a lot more complicated and there's a lot more, there's more managing going on, as you say, with three kids than there is with one. But I think when it comes to our relationships, we have had so much time together and we've really all gotten to know each other on, you know, in a very deep way. Not that you're not, you don't understand your kids in a very deep way when you have more than one, but we have spent so much time together that we really understand each other. And that has really lent itself to my writing. And and in fact, in my first two books, the children in there were both single children with that special relationship with their mothers. Mm -hmm. And that's a relationship that I know very well. And I also know, um, I know that it's a different, it's a different type of relationship than even, you know, than when you have more than one, because often I'm the oldest of four. And so I know that the relationship that my parents had with the four of us was different. And we also kind of, you know, after a while, the we could all entertain each other. You know, my parents could go off and they could do things like go out on dates on Wednesday nights and, you know, have their own projects and stuff like that, even though they were very, very busy with us. But it was definitely a different, you know, I feel like I really, really know my kid. And I feel like she actually knows me in a different way than than maybe I knew my mother when I was her age. I think you're right. I don't know if you've studied birth order or anything, but the personalities and the relationships and I have, and like you, I'm the oldest of four. Oh, okay. And my ex-husband was an only child. (laughs) And so when, with my firsthand knowledge and experience with firstborns and middle children and youngest and the onlys, there is a different dynamic. Yeah with the siblings. And just like, I'm sure you have different relationships with your younger siblings. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that has a lot to do with it. And Mm -hmm. as you said, the fact that you have one child and you can focus all your attention on one child and that child has the attention of two adults all the time without competition, Mm -hmm. that has a lot to do with personality and with how people view things in their perspective. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that your character in your book, your soap opera actress I would imagine that her upbringing and her family relationships probably have a lot to do with how she responds oh, yeah. to the cancellation of her show and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think too, watching her, cause I watched this also with my own daughter is that she and I, in a lot of ways are very much alike and she was very just lovey and just always, you know, when she was a baby, she was not interested in being pushed in a stroller. She wanted to be attached on the baby Bjorn or Mm -hmm. she wanted to be carried everywhere basically. And so she was always very attached. And then around, you know, middle school is when she started to separate herself, which was normal and healthy. But I also feel like I mourned it in a little, in a little, you know, a little bit. And I wanted to kind of capture that 
that separation in this book too. I, I wanted to kind of capture that, you know, it's right around those 12, 13, 14 is when they start really figuring out who they are as separate from their parents. And it's hard on parents. It was hard on me. And I want her to grow and evolve and eventually be able to live without me. But at the same time, I, I miss her having to, wanting to hug me all the time and all that kind of stuff. Those hugs are, are kind of few and far between. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. So folks can find your book, Daytime Drama, Barnes and Noble and Amazon all over the place, right? Yeah, everywhere. And they can, and they can find you online at your website at sarahlinbrook.com. Yes. And I hope to see you again. Come back and visit. Thank you, Linda. All righty. Bye-bye. 